Welcome to the Boost Health Podcast, where we are searching for wellness balance. Your host is Paul Sandberg, a certified strength and conditioning specialist with nearly 20 years of experience in the health and fitness industry and degrees in human biology and business. At Boost Health, our passion is to learn and share new wellness tactics and help individuals create their own personal health strategy. Join us on this journey of being open-minded and trying new things. You can learn more at MyBoostHealth.com. Welcome to the show. Find your balance. 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 Find your balance. That is our goal here at Boost Health. Welcome to episode number 44 of the Boost Health Podcast. Today's show is a special best of 2018 episode where I review the most important tactics I covered in the last year. I learned a ton from my guests, research, and as always, personal experimentation, and thought it'd be great to highlight the strategies that stood out from all the rest. A couple quick announcements, and we'll jump right into the show. Extra Boost. I'm currently beta testing a special members area on myboosthealth.com called the Extra Boost. In this members area, I'll be able to share additional fitness and wellness tips, workout videos, nutrition ideas, behind the scenes of what I do personally, a community forum, and more. Now, Currently, the members area is free and we're wrapping up the Extra Boost Holiday Wellness Challenge. Just go to myboosthealth.com and click Extra Boost from the menu to check it out. Boost Health TV. The Boost Health podcast is now available via video on the Boost Health TV YouTube channel. Boost Health TV also includes several awesome workout videos, including a new one I just created that requires no equipment at all. I'll link to the channel in the show notes and blog so you can check it out. And newsletter, if you haven't signed up for the weekly Boost newsletter, You can do so by entering your name and email into the form on the homepage of myboosthealth.com. This way you don't miss any Boost Health news. All right, now here is episode number 44, 17 best fitness and wellness tips of 2018. 2018 was a fantastic year because I took a chance and launched this company Thinking that I had a wellness philosophy and enough experience to put together an interesting program. The show hit over 17,000 downloads in 43 episodes. I'm excited about this accomplishment and also about what is to come in 2019. This episode is a look back at 2018 and collating all the best wellness and fitness information I've shared in the last year. As you know, my goal with Boost Health is to be open-minded try new wellness tactics, and then share my findings. The blog and podcast has included new wellness research I've come across, valuable tactics that were shared by my guests, as well as tips, tricks, hacks, and my experiences new and old. I've learned so much in the process of creating this content in the last year, and I hope you have learned a lot too. If you're new to Boost Health, this episode should give you a little taste of what we cover here on the show. That said, let's jump into the best tactics that we shared on the show in 2018. I will link to all the episodes discussed in the show notes and blog if you want to deep dive on any of the topics we discuss. Number one, be open-minded and try new things. 
This is just as much a wellness tip as it is the very essence of my philosophy with Boost Health and how I coach. This is the most important concept I teach, coach, share, and exemplify. I had to learn this the hard way over the years. In the beginning of my career, I would learn something in a course or training, read an article or study research and come to a conclusion. And that was that. Unfortunately, it is not so black and white in the science of wellness and fitness. There's always new research coming out that forces us to think critically about our previously established notions in fitness, nutrition, mental strength, gut health, wellness balance, etc. A positive and open attitude to new ideas and research paired with acceptance of changing your mind or even admitting we were wrong is one of the most wonderful things about being human. Now, taking this open-mindedness and applying it to your own self-experimentation with new wellness tactics is extremely powerful. If I helped even just a few people realize this in 2018, then I will consider it a huge success. That is how powerful and important this concept is. Number two, do full body strength training. And just like I mentioned in my show, Eight Ways to Improve Health This Holiday Season, this one is non-negotiable. Since you can do full body strength training anywhere, anytime with little or no equipment in less than 30 minutes, there's no excuse in not getting this in. Full body training three times per week is preferred so you can maximize your recovery and your volume. Full body training versus split group training is still debated in the fitness industry. My article, Full Body versus Split Group Training, is easily my most hit page on myboosthealth.com on a daily basis. I included a few studies that show benefits of full body training over split group training, including hormone regulation, more calories burned, and more muscular hypertrophy. Also, if you're someone who misses workouts, this guarantees you hit all your major muscle groups each week. I actually have created several different full body strength training workouts. I created one with no equipment, one with dumbbells, and one with bands. And I'll link to all these in the show notes and blog. They're free on the Boost Health TV YouTube channel. Number three, mobility is a must. I talked about mobility a lot this year, especially after my show with Joel. The entire interest in mobility for me started when I couldn't perform a pistol squat, which my buddy Joel Lee Ginger completely schooled me on. He mentioned that mobility work changed his life as he effortlessly demonstrated what is arguably the most difficult movement in fitness. What he didn't tell me initially was that it took him three years to master the pistol squat and that mobility is a journey and discipline all its own. Understanding that mobility is not flexibility is a key takeaway. Mobility requires body awareness, strength, coordination, and flexibility. For example, you may have good ankle and hip flexibility paired with good strong body awareness, but you may not have the ability to do a pistol squat due to lack of strength and coordination. Now, mobility is something to evaluate on a daily basis as new issues can pop up and your goals can change. My initial trouble areas identified were ankles and hips. I'd been struggling with a knee issue for months in 2018, and I wasn't able to run for a long period. With the long rest paired with consistent work and strength, mobility, and cool down, I'm pleased to say I've been able to start running again in the last few weeks. The standout mobility moves that helped me with the knee were the squat hold and the 90-90 stretch. Now I've got the squat hold 
in my dynamic warm-up of my full body workout with new equipment video, which I'll link to in the show notes and blog. And the 90-90 stretch can be seen in the video update from the Holiday Wellness Challenge, which I'll link to in the show notes and blog as well. We talked specifically about mobility again in my episode with Danny Bird. He shared his favorite mobility movements he uses as a coach based on the areas people struggle with the most, which are shoulders, hips, and ankles. The one that stood out the most was the shoulder impingement mobility tactic that he shared, where you balance an Olympic bar across the trapezius muscle and then hold in position. I have added this to my personal regimen because I thought it was such a good one. Number four, fast for short and long-term benefits. Different types of fasting techniques have come up on the show several times throughout the year. There are loads of benefits to fasting, which is likely why it's a hot topic in the wellness space currently. Short-term benefits of intermittent fasting, such as 12 to 16 hour overnight fasts, include increased muscle, decreased fat, decreasing stress as compared to a calorie restriction diet. I've been doing this overnight fasting for several years now, actually, and it certainly plays a role in my overall progress and health status, I feel. I've recently become interested in prolonged fasting, which is a fast of 24 to 48 hours. A 2015 study in cell metabolism shared that this type of prolonged fasting can protect normal cells and organs from toxins, increase autophagy, which is like spring cleaning for your cells where damaged cells are removed and new ones are created. And the exciting thing is this even happens with cancer where cancer cells are actually killed off. With this in mind, it seems that occasional prolonged fasting certainly has some long-term benefits. As such, I made it a goal to complete my very first 24-hour fast during the holidays this year. I had heard that others have had success when they do this from dinner time to dinner time. So you would eat dinner at 6 p.m., for example, and then you would not eat again until 6 p.m. the next night. I decided to go for the 24-hour fast on a quiet Wednesday evening after we finished all of our holiday travel. I finished eating at about 7 o'clock that night, so I would just need to make it until 7 p.m. the next night to hit my 24 hours. I typically do an intense cycling workout on Thursday mornings, but I decided to skip the workout as I wasn't sure how I'd respond to 24 hours without food, let alone on top of an intense aerobic session. I felt fine all morning because I'm usually fasted at this time, but at around 10.30 a.m. or so, when I usually eat, this was more challenging. I drink lots of water in an attempt to sort of squash these hunger pains, but the overwhelming hunger only lasted a few minutes, and interestingly, it just disappeared. Then I had another wave hit at about 12.30 p.m., but again, it, it went away quickly. I noticed a bit of brain fog during these moments and had trouble concentrating on work, but just like the hunger pains, it went away pretty fast. By around 3 p.m., I thought this was really interesting. I didn't really feel hungry anymore at all, and I actually felt surprisingly energized and alert. I even felt like I was energetic enough to go run or even lift weights. Uh, as I mentioned previously, I didn't want to add any major variables to this experiment, so I just wanted to see how I could do with 24 hours without food first, and then maybe next time I could experiment with workouts. So the Energy had me feeling strong all the way until 7.30 p.m., which is when I ate. And I've heard stories about people who continue to fast on for 48 or 72 hours that feel this euphoric, energetic feeling as well and find it's easy to continue on just by staying properly hydrated with water. 
So I'm intrigued to go for 48 hours sometime soon. But first, I'm going to try a 24-hour fast with exercise and see how I feel. So at 7.30 p.m., I ate a normal meal, which for me is vegetable curry with chickpeas and potatoes. I also had an apple with peanut butter and flaxseed. Uh, and then I had some B12 and a multivitamin. I also had some dark chocolate for dessert. And I felt fine eating and I felt very satiated afterwards. And I would definitely recommend this dinner to dinner, 24 hour fast method, but suggest doing some time in the overnight 12 to 16 hour fasting first to build up before you try a 24 hour one. Number five, maybe foam rolling isn't so bad. It isn't fun to admit that I might've been wrong. In early 2018, I did an episode called three reasons to stop foam rolling, where I talked about how I was potentially overdoing this tactic. Specifically, I found that when I eliminated foam rolling entirely, I actually had improvement in an injured area. Based on research, I was worried that I was creating more scar tissue and not massaging in the proper direction for muscle fibers and blood pooling. In retrospect, I think I was just foam rolling too often, too aggressively, and with the wrong technique. I was doing full body aggressive smashing before and after every workout, and sometimes multiple times per day. I was just overdoing it. Now, this is not necessary or helpful. Also, I was rolling up and down the tissue. It seems that a better tactic is to roll into a position that feels tight and then actually hold that position versus rolling up and down the affected area over and over. I've slowly reintroduced this tool with a soft roller on my hips and outer legs to help with my knee issue using this stop and hold tactic. I think it's one of the strategies that's helped my knee feel better. Number six, give plant-based nutrition a try. I talked a lot about plant-based nutrition this year on many of the episodes because changing to this type of diet five years ago had such a remarkable positive effect on my performance and overall health. This topic came up most prominently in my shows with Lisa Tararucci and Rebecca Capelli. Lisa told her story of how she beat liver disease and how her helper reversed diabetes on a plant-based diet. We also shared stories of improved gut health and energy levels on plants. And Rebecca shared her own story of moving to plant-based nutrition for health reasons, but also for the sake of the animals and our planet. She discusses her incredibly moving documentary called Let Us Be Heroes, where she inspires us to affect change on an individual level and makes us aware that the best thing you can do to reduce your carbon footprint is eating a plant-based diet. This is based on the study by University of Oxford that concluded that switching to a plant-based diet can reduce an individual's carbon footprint by 73%. Watching the documentary and also being part of the panel discussion for her screening here in Hong Kong has inspired me to move beyond my own performance and health on plants and to start thinking about this more holistically. I'm now thinking more critically about plant-based beyond my personal consumption to what I wear and what I'm doing to inspire others to change. Maybe saving the animals and planet isn't the right inspiration or motivation for you right now. It wasn't for me five years ago. I wanted to feel and perform better. I talk about all the benefits that I've realized by switching to a plant-based diet, including losing 10% body fat, increasing strength, and improving my endurance 
in my episode on going through this change. We'll link to it in the show notes and blog. Number seven, get 10,000 steps per day. I made this one of the goals during the Extra Boost Holiday Wellness Challenge because it really forces you to be active throughout the day. I started thinking about this as I noticed there's lots of days where I would do like a big bike ride completed in the morning, but I didn't come close to getting 10,000 steps per day in. Now I would tell myself it was okay because I got a good workout in in the morning, but I know better. A 2017 study showed that even if you exercise, sitting too long during the day will still increase mortality rate. Well, what does this mean? It means to sit for a little while and stand for a little while at your workstation. And it also means you need to move often throughout the day. Number eight, nootropics are better than coffee. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my coffee in the morning. Sometimes though, if I overdo it, I can get a little jittery. And also the ergogenic effect of the coffee seems to be short-lived. I had heard and seen research that combining coffee with L-theanine and or adaptogens could help mellow out the jittery feeling while also improving the energy and even the cognitive abilities. I had also heard that nootropic supplements that use caffeine in place of coffee and combine L-theanine and or adaptogens had the same type of benefits. I wasn't sure about trying them myself, though I was intrigued. Then I received an email from Firas Abdallah, who's the founder of MX Nutraceuticals and creator of a natural cognitive enhancing supplement called Cognizin. Now, Firas wanted to know if I'd be interested in trying the supplement and providing my feedback. After thoroughly researching the product and his company, I felt comfortable enough to give it a try. We cover all the different scenarios I tried, including morning, afternoon, before workouts, with and without coffee, etc., on episode 40 of the show, which we'll link to. The main takeaways were that I felt a big difference in focus and longer lasting energy when I took Cognizant versus coffee. And the best scenario for me was that I would take this nootropic in the morning and then would have coffee three hours later and get the best of both worlds. Number nine, stick to a morning routine. My blog and show on the 10 tips for the best morning routine for health and productivity was one of the most popular of the year. I think part of the reason for this is that most people can relate. Most people have had one of those mornings where they were energized and motivated and massively productive and they want to replicate this. Research has shown that checking things off our to-do list provides an increase of dopamine. It makes us feel good to get things done. It feels good to be productive. One of the 10 tips I include is getting up early. You might say getting up early is obvious. I'm not talking about most days. I'm not talking about Monday through Friday. I'm not talking about all days of the year except when on vacation. I'm talking about all days are days to get up early. Now, we just got back from an incredible family trip to Seoul, Korea. And one of the mornings, I thought I would treat myself to sleeping in and I would just get my workout in later in the day when we got back from the activities. Well, that day included taking our kids to a crowded theme park. It was tons of fun and the people were wonderful, but for me, there's nothing more physically and mentally exhausting than walking around a crowded theme park, waiting in lines, keeping our kids from going crazy, et cetera, et cetera. So when we finally got home at 8 p.m. or so, the last thing I wanted to do was work out. And my wife kindly reminded me that I should have got it done in the morning before everyone woke up like I normally do. 
I went and I got it done. And actually, I felt so much better after I finished. I'm sure you've had that happen before. But I learned a valuable lesson, a lesson I already knew but needed to be retaught that I need to stick to this morning routine every day, no matter what. Now, interestingly, Merriam-Webster defines a routine as habitual or mechanical performance of an established procedure. I love this inclusion of the word mechanical in the definition. In this sense, we could think of ourselves like a machine or a robot that is programmed to wake up early and be productive. It isn't a question. It just is. Number 10, use speed of implementation tactic. The speed of implementation concept was introduced to me this year by Dr. Chris Zaneo on my show. It has great application for wellness tactics, but it actually can be used for anything in life, really. In general, it means to jump at opportunities as soon as you're aware of them versus waiting till everything's perfect before proceeding. Now, this is something that I have historically not been very good at. I typically like to vet everything out before moving forward with projects for work or a workout program or even a Saturday afternoon with my family. I mentioned in the episode that the speed of implementation tactic reminded me of a type of project management uh, that I studied in school. Now, sometimes when you begin a project, it's difficult to fully understand what the final product is going to look like and what changes are going to need to be made to arrive at implementation with high client satisfaction. This became especially prevalent as technology began changing and improving so quickly with computers and applications. So a new type of project management was developed called agile project management. And according to a 2015 article on contentmarketinginstitute.com, technology companies such as Google and Facebook started using agile project management methods to be innovative and do this by developing products as quickly as they could, test them on real users, change the product based on the user's requests, and then update the product again as fast as they can. And you can see agile project managing happening each time you see an update for your app on your smartphone. When I thought about opportunities for myself in these terms, it made sense to attempt to be more agile. Opportunities would be less likely to be missed, and any mistakes that occur could be valuable lessons along the way. I'm still a work in progress in being more agile and implementing opportunities with speed, but I can think of several major projects that I took on this year that I jumped into before perfecting everything ahead of time. I learned a lot from these, and I'm glad I didn't hesitate and miss the opportunities altogether. Number 11, active commute to work if possible. I talked a lot about commuting to work, specifically cycle commuting, on several of my shows, including the ones with Jules Doyle and David Hamby and Ryan O'Neill. And the health benefits of actively commuting to work are astounding. I think part of the reason for this is most folks who actively commute will do it two ways, so two times a day. If individuals are stuck in a sedentary position at work for most of the day, you can see how being active multiple times per day would be incredibly beneficial. Just in case you missed the amazing research on the health benefits of active commuting and cycle commuting, I'll share them with you one more time. In 2011, a study in the Scandinavian Journal of Medicine and Science in Sports did a systematic review of health benefits in cycling. And they found that individuals who commute to work via bicycle are at lower risk for all-cause mortality and cancer in individuals who are middle-aged and older. It's pretty amazing. 
A study came out earlier this year in Aging Cell Journal that found that very exciting evidence, this is actually in 2018, um, that cycling and other forms of physical activity most likely can drastically reduce the aging process of your immune system. The study noted that cyclists in their 70s and 80s had immune systems that looked more like somebody in their 20s because of their ability to fight off infections and possibly even cancer. In 2017, the British Medical Journal pu published a massive cohort study on the act of commuting, including bicycle commuting. They tracked 263,453 men and women over a five-year period. So this was a big study uh, that took part in regular active commuting. So this was walking, cycling, or a combination. Uh, and this was in England, Scotland, and Wales. And the study found that cycle commuting was associated with a lower risk of cardiovascular disease, cancer, and all-cause mortality versus non-active commuters. And one more, a 2000 study in the Archives of Internal Medicine found that a daily bike commuter has a 40% lower risk for all-cause mortality than non-cycle commuters. So if actively commuting to work, especially via bicycle, is a possibility for you, I would definitely recommend it based on these studies. Also, if you can ride in with a colleague, it can help build in accountability and community like we talked about with Ryan O'Neill. Number 12, use intra-abdominal pressure, or IAP, when you're training. Now, Anna Woods introduced me to this body awareness concept on my show with her. She describes it as creating a 360-degree pressure throughout your midsection with a muscle and breathing technique. Part of the reason this is such a critical technique is that it helps your brain feel stable in the joints of your body. I've practiced this a lot since discussing it with her, and it seems to help me the most when I'm running, especially uh, as I've been nursing this injured knee along. I also like to use this cue on weight training exercises like deadlifts, rows, and squats. The real trick, I think, is learning how to create this intra-abdominal pressure and still maintaining your breathing. Now, I'll share a link to a video in the show notes and blog showing how important it is to maintain this intra-abdominal pressure when you're doing weight-bearing activities like a back squat or running. Number 13, train your brain. Mental strength and mindset came up a lot in the show in this last year. I actually did an entire episode on the topic where I focused on improving performance with different tactics, including anchoring, which involves attaching a positive image from a previous success to a gesture, like grabbing your earlobe. Now, this is clearly a distraction technique to sort of trick the brain and the body into being more comfortable than it normally would in a stressful environment. I mentioned these tactics have worked well for athletes like Olympic gold medalist Chris Hoy from the UK. I've had some success with these strategies when presented with something that gives me anxiety like training in heat or swimming. And I wonder if something can be done that is more permanent though, like a rewiring. For example, you may believe you're not good at blank or you're scared of blank or you're not a blank type of person. What if we could train our brain not to believe this? An interesting article on positivepsychologyprogram.com talks about the neuroplasticity of our brains and this ability to rewire them. The article notes that clinician Ian Cleary says the old wiring will still exist, that wiring that sends you into anxiety, um, and it's sitting there waiting to be triggered. 
but we can create competitive wiring in our brains that is of what we want to achieve. And I think this is pretty exciting. So apparently it takes a great deal of work to achieve this rewiring. Uh, and it can be done though, using adaptive and changing thought patterns through recall and memory patterns, increasing body awareness and others. And I put a few of these tactics to work actually on the ski lift a few days ago when I was on a holiday with my family. And in the past, I would say that I'm afraid of heights. I attempted to create some new neural pathways by saying that I quite enjoyed the ride up the ski lift, and it was nice to see the views from out there. And all the while, my kids were asking if I was okay. <laughs> I told them that I now enjoy the ski lift and that heights don't bother me, and they told me that I was in fact still afraid. So despite their efforts to derail me, I did feel a little bit better. That said, it may be more effective to create this new rewiring for your brain when kids are not repeating the undesirable wiring in the background. Number 14, join a wellness community. The benefits of a wellness community came up with almost every single guest on the show in 2018. Also, I focused an entire episode on this topic with guests Bo Kratz and Sheil Coley and how these communities can improve performance and accountability while fostering mentorship. We discussed a bit of research backing these benefits, including a 2012 study where researchers at Kansas State University found that people who exercised with someone they thought was better than them increased their workout time and intensity by 200%. Also, a 2011 study in the Journal of Sport and Exercise Psychology found that participants were able to hold a plank longer when working out with a partner and increased their plank hold by up to 24% when working out with a more capable partner. Now, I know some of you are thinking that you prefer to be a lone wolf and train just fine on your own, and I can respect and understand that. I sometimes like to just put on my headphones and enjoy a training session on my own. That said, it is helpful to know there is someone waiting for you early in the morning for that cycling workout or even to answer a question you may have about a tactic or someone to bounce a new idea off of. You can be part of the Boost Health community by visiting our Facebook page and joining the conversation. We'll link to that in the show notes and blog. Number 15, track your heart rate variability or HRV. Now, I discussed HRV a number of times throughout the year as a key metric to track and ensure that you're maximizing your recovery from stressors such as exercise and inefficient sleep. Now, I discussed it in some detail in the episode I produced called How to Listen to Your Body. You can check it out and see what tools I use to measure HRV and how to get started. If you're not already tracking HRV, I'll quickly summarize why it is important to keep an eye on. Now, what is HRV? It's a measurement of variation in time between heartbeats. It's not your heart rate, which is a measure of your heart rate over one minute. This is a measurement of variation in time between your heartbeats. Our autonomic nervous system, or ANS, is what actually controls the variation between heartbeats, along with other somewhat important things like breathing. The sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems comprise this autonomic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is also known as the one that preps the body for flight or flight. You can think of it like uh, intense physical activity. And the parasympathetic nervous system is also known as the rest and digest system as it helps calm the body down. 
Now, research has shown that when the body is in sympathetic fight or flight mode, it has a low HRV. And when it is in parasympathetic or rest and digest mode, it has a high HRV. As you might have guessed, having a higher HRV is good as it shows the body's ability to be resilient and change from sympathetic to parasympathetic mode. Now, once you've established your HRV baseline for yourself, you'll be able to fine tune your workouts and recovery tactics based on that morning score. For example, if you had a super intense strength training session planned, but your HRV score was well below your baseline that morning, then you know you would want to do a much easier session and incorporate lots of parasympathetic promoting activity like breathing exercises and meditation. Number 16, take care of your gut. Gut health came up quite a few times on the show this year. Most prominently, it was something that Pete Fisher and I discussed when he was on. One standout point that he made was that one of the best things you can do to promote gut health is to eat lots of high fiber foods as this will feed the good bacteria and greatly increase the proliferation. I hypothesized that when I switched to plant-based diet, I was getting so many more high fiber foods like fruits, vegetables, and beans that this was certainly a key factor in helping me get rid of my personal gut health issues. I also brought up gut health in my show on five nutrition tips for everyone. I mentioned that eating probiotic foods like high quality yogurt, which doesn't have to be made of dairy by the way, sauerkraut, dark chocolate, pickles, and kimchi can help increase bacteria in our gut. I also noted that there are so many neurons in our gut, more than in our spine actually, that it's being called our second brain. Most of the information in these neurons is actually sent up to our brain and can contain information on mood, stress, and feelings. We still have a lot to learn about gut health, and it is becoming very heavily researched now. It seems clear, however, that taking care of your gut is very important, and if you feel unwell or stress, it could be your gut trying to tell you something. Number 17, know how balanced you are. As you may know, the tagline of the Boost Health podcast is, find your balance. And I'm obsessed with searching for wellness balance on a daily basis and helping others do the same. I get frustrated when I hear people mention work-life balance. Because while it is good to want your career to be balanced with the rest of your life, the life portion has lots and lots of layers that need to be reviewed. In fact, there are seven dimensions of wellness balance that need to be considered. These include occupational, social, intellectual, physical, emotional, spiritual, and environmental. You can read or listen to my show on the topic to deep dive into each of these dimensions and my examples of each. It is very useful to understand what each of these areas include and to spend time considering not only how well you're doing in each dimension, but also to consider which ones may require some time in improving. Pay attention to all of the dimensions and put more energy toward the ones that need more work and keep in mind that this may need to flex on a daily basis when different stimuli present themselves. Thank you all very much for listening to the show today. A few things you can do to help out Boost Health if you would be so kind. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast in your podcast app. Leave a review on the Boost Health Facebook page, subscribe to the Boost Health TV YouTube channel, and follow My Boost Health on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. 
You can also visit the Boost Health website at myboosthealth.com for links to everything along with more motivation and information. Until next time, this is Paul Sandberg saying goodbye and find your balance.